Welcome to The Intuitive Customer, where we discuss how you can improve your customer experience and your bottom line. And now, here are your hosts, award-winning influencer and pioneering author of seven books, Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton from Emory University. The falling customer satisfaction began before the advent of the pandemic. From 2010 to 2019, about 70% of the companies tracked by ASCII had declined or flat customer satisfaction scores. Since then, American customer satisfaction became even more dissatisfied. Even as companies have implemented CX policies and CX systems, um, if you're not doing it properly, then it's not going to matter. What's the point if you're coming on this bloody show and not having the answers to these big questions? I'm, I'm the cheerful American. <laughs> you, Colin. That's what I do on this show. <laughs> so, Ryan, I want to let you into a secret, mate. Let's hear it. I'm British. Uh-huh. And you're American. Okay. Both of those facts surprise me. I was not aware of that until you, until you let me know. Uh, but you know that I obviously spend a hell of a lot of time in the States. Okay. And one of the things I found over the years is that us British tend to look at the world as if the glass is half empty. And Americans tend to look at the world as if the glass is half full, in my view. Okay. Yeah. So kind of so, a more optimistic versus a more pessimistic world. Yeah. Right. Yes. And so I, with that in mind, I've been, I've been looking through some statistics recently. Okay. Because I have such an exciting life. <laughs> <laughs> but before we dig into the statistics, I want to talk about this British versus American mentality thing more. Yeah. Do you think it has to do with the fact that at least according to the Scottish British tap water is so terrible? <laughs> no, uh, no. I, I, if you were actually going to have a good discussion about this, it's maybe worth looking at. I actually think part of it is to do with sunshine, and I'm being genuine now. So, one of the problems in England is it rains a lot, and when it rains, it's just depressing, basically. And one of the things that's so great about the states is that a lot of the time it's sunshiny, basically. Yeah. Depends on where you are, but um, th there's that. I, I, I mean, that's a good theory. I'm under the theory it's because you guys talk so funny. No, it's, 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 you know. <laughs> and what's the language you speak? Oh, yes, it's called English, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, yeah, we, we took it and fixed it for you, and you're welcome. But, yes, uh, yes. Sorry. Well, no, so what, gonna... what, what happened was, mate, was that, <laughs> I don't know, 300 years ago, we sent over all the happy people. We banned all the happy people from the country. All the happy people just fled. <laughs> and we said, go to the new yeah. world. Yeah. <laughs> You're far too happy for this country. <laughs> Get over there. <laughs> yeah, oh, that checks out. That works. Yeah. All right, uh, so anyway. you share with us some statistics before yeah. I derailed you. Absolutely. So I've been looking at some statistics, and the reason I, I sort of chose to do this introduction about uh, glass half full and glass half empty is because I genuinely get stuck between sometimes going, 
bloody out you know the opportunity out there is so enormous okay and then on the other hand going but why are more people doing enough about this you know it, it, and and I'm, hopefully this is a bit of a, a cathartic experience for me and and you can you can help help me through this right i i love this <laughs> what i love though starting off is framing things as opportunities or threads means you're you're about to share with me bad news <laughs> like well, <laughs> opportunities are still based on the indication that things are not going well but there's an opportunity well there, so I, there, I love the framing i love that we're going to talk about both of these sets but i you know i think that we are going to talk about a lot of things that are not currently great news um could become better yes or they could yes. be indications things are going really poorly yes Absolutely. So, so let, let's jump into it, so people can um, uh, hear some of these stats, which um, I think are, I think are significant. And I've literally spent a week looking at stats, trying to think of things that I thought were really interesting. So, a, a couple of a couple of opportunity areas, I think, which is great, which is actually sort of reinforces the reason we're doing this podcast. So this is the first one. It came from uh, Gallup Analytics. Okay. Uh, so obviously a credible source. Companies that apply the principles of behavioral economics can outperform their competition by 85% in sales growth and more than 25% in gross margins. Okay. So you go, Wow, I've I've never actually, to be honest with you, whilst it's something clearly we've talked about and wrote a book about and everything else, I've never actually seen a stat against that before from a from a credible source. But uh, I thought, wow, that's that's big. So eighty five percent increase in sales growth and a twenty five percent increase in gross margin. On the one hand, it, it is those are impressive numbers. You frame it as an opportunity because. So many firms are not doing this. Currently. Yes. Uh, on the other hand, like it's, it shouldn't be that surprising. Uh, a lot of behavioral economics principles are really just about understanding your customer better. Sure. So is it that surprising that firms that are focused on understanding their customers better and, you know, understanding their needs and communicating to them more effectively are more successful? I mean, it, it's great to have some numbers to, to back that up. Yeah, I, I think the issue for me, mate, is that we don't, you and I, and potentially the listeners, yeah, take it for granted because we've already bought into it. But there are so many organizations out there where if you even just utter the phrase behavioral economics, they don't really know what you're talking about. And they don't really understand their customers that well. So let me give you, a, let me give you an, another one. This is again from Gallup. And this is 70% of economic decision-making is made with emotional factors. Now, what emotional factors are is, uh, you know, I guess is debatable. And by the way, for all these statistics, we will put in the show notes and in all the stuff that we're sending out links to where all this um, uh, uh, source material is for this. So you'll get a chance to use that. But, But again, I thought, yeah, again, it sort of directionally feels feels right and is something that not many organizations are, are doing again. Again, some of this will come down to how, you know, as you mentioned, how emotional factors are defined. I mean, there's, there's research indicating that without our emotional system, 
it's literally impossible to make decisions. Um, there's a famous case about a, a patient who had a, a brain lesion so that the part of his brain that processed emotions was damaged. The doctor working with him would explain these experiences where the guy literally could not make a decision about what to eat for lunch. He would just constantly. So from that perspective, 100% of the decisions that we make uh, involve emotional processing to some extent. But computers make decisions, don't they? Yeah. So in, in the human brain, as I understand it, the emotional system provides kind of some triggers or thresholds that say, okay, you've thought about this enough. Like, right. like you've, you've now fulfilled your due diligence, like now make a, make a choice. And so we require this emotional trigger as, as a part of the system. So even if this is not a, an emotionally laden decision, right. just that, that part of the brain that processes emotions is required as part of this, this link of cognitive systems in order to, to kind of flip over that threshold and, and say, okay, now we're done and we're making a decision. So yeah, so emotion is incredibly important in decision-making. Um, and again, it's nice to have, to your point, there are people who buy into this stuff and people who need convincing. And there's nothing more convincing than a statistic. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, which is one of the reasons I, 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 I was looking into it because we did a, a show a, some years ago now based around 15 statistics and, and obviously things have moved on. But it's good to actually start to see that uh, some of these numbers are coming out on this. So let me give you another one from Forrester. You know, for me, shows the opportunity that's there okay uh so again sort of more glass half full stuff 41 percent of customer obsessed companies achieved at least a 10 percent revenue growth compared to just 10 percent of less matured companies now when they're talking about maturity you may not know but forrester have got this maturity index that, that they use or customer experience cx maturity index so they're, they're basically, you know, which obviously goes up to being customer obsessed. I'm not sure if I actually like the word obsessed, but that's a different kettle of fish. Oh, no, we stalk our customers. We, uh, we, look, at, <laughs> we look through their windows at nights while they're sleeping. Like we're, we're all in. Yeah, we wear T-shirts with them on and stuff like that. I did actually, we're doing some work once with a B2B client. And the, the good thing that they did was that they named a lot of their conference rooms after some of their main customers, which I thought was a nice oh, that is touch. Hard. But let's go back to it. So 41% of customer assessed companies achieved at least a 10% revenue growth compared to just 10% with just 10% less in mature companies so again it's all indicating that if you focus on improving customer experience if you focus on emotions if you focus on behavioral economics then life is good yeah. okay let me put my british glass half full hat on okay i should have you know what i should have done is I should, opportunity here. YouTube. <laughs> I should have got my should have got different hats. So just assume like, now I have my like Union Jack hat. hat. Yes. Um, for, for British <laughs> and then for American, I guess. I don't know. Like a It's gotta be a baseball hat, wouldn't it? Gotta be a baseball cap from some New York Yankees or something like that. Yeah. So let me put my let me put my other hat on. Yeah. So threat. 
Uh, and this came from this comes from the American Customer Satisfaction Index. You'll know that a friend of the show uh, is American Customer Satisfaction Index. They tend to come on the show once every six months, which has reminded me that they need to. Um, I need to reach out to them again. Always an interesting conversation. It is. So I've took this from their website literally over the last couple of days, which basically says, uh, whilst COVID nineteen has played a role. The falling customer satisfaction before, uh, began before the advent of the pandemic. From 2010 to 2019, about 70% of the companies tracked by ASCII had declined or flat customer satisfaction scores. Since then, American customer satisfaction became even more dissatisfied. American customers became, became more dissatisfied. So, key issue, yeah. 70% of organizations tracked by ASCII, which is a lot of companies and a lot of the major companies, either declined their satisfaction or it flattened between 2010 and 2019. Now, I know you know this stat. The interesting bit for me has been, how can you say those other three stats and then come up with this? You know, it just seems to be... I just get to this uh, dichotomy of going, yeah, the glass is half full. You've got all these positive statistics. So why in the bloody hell has this happened? And also with the focus on, on customer experience. But the optimism in me always turns around and says, yeah, but look at this. I mean, so e- even if you are one of these companies, I mean, it means that a third of organizations, so if 70%, is flat or declining, it does mean that 30% have improved it and are actually enjoying the fruits of their labors. That's a good point. Yeah, I mean, and we talked, uh, I'm sure we can link to the that previous episode, uh, when, when we talked to people from this organization, you know, the, the explanations as to why customer satisfaction are not, is not improving in, in the large scale are somewhat complex and nuanced. Like, I think there's a lot of potential reasons for it. Some of it may be, just kind of generalizing expectations. I'm I'm personally of the opinion that there's just a lot of kind of generalized anxiety and discomfort coming out of, you know, politics and, and political instability and, you know, economic instability. And I think that that can just manifest itself in an, into an outlet where somebody's asking you how you feel about anything. And so you're just less satisfied. But I also think that one of the potential reasons is that even as companies have implemented CX policies and CX systems, um, if you're not doing it properly, then it's not going to matter. And so I've, I've seen firms treat all kinds of important decision making as just a box to be checked. You know, like, oh, we're, we've done our segmentation, like, check, let's not put it in a drawer. Uh, oh, we've done our customer journey map, like, uh, forget about that. And I, I suspect that there are a lot of firms who have invested in CX mostly as a way to just tell senior leadership or their board yeah. or their no, investors they've done it. And that's it. I, I, I agree. And we've done other shows based on this, so I'm not going to harp on about it. But I think the headlines for me are there, there are too many organizations that have just jumped on a bandwagon and didn't really understand what they were what they were trying to do. There were too many CX professionals who didn't were given responsibility without authority 
and therefore couldn't make the changes that they need to make, although they were given the responsibility to improve it. And the last one, which I think is the big one, is that they haven't equated an improvement in customer satisfaction to a revenue benefit and can't turn around and say, if we do this, then that's what we get. Yeah, the amount of discussions that we've had along those lines, which is why we invented this emotional signature that we've talked long and hard about in the past, which can show you how the revenue benefit that you can gain, because as you said, just talking about statistics, talking numbers is an important aspect of things. I think for me, those are the the primary reasons, but I still find it amazing. So let's carry on. Ryan, what's the scariest movie you've ever seen? Uh, I saw an old Vincent Price movie called House of the Long Shadows when I was a kid, and it kept me awake for days. And if you want to be kept awake for days, the one that scared me the most was the Intuitive Customer podcast that's now available on YouTube. It's really scary. I want to change my answer. That's actually the scariest thing I've seen too. (laughs) Absolutely. So... If you are interested in getting scared and watching Ryan and I attempt to do a podcast on YouTube, then just search for the Intuitive Customer Podcast on YouTube and subscribe, won't you? We look forward to seeing you there. So let's again, let's put my um, class half full hat on. Uh, So an opportunity. Increasing retention by as little as 5% can boost profits by as much as 95%. And this is Bain, yeah, uh, Frederick Reichelt, who again was on the show a little a while ago. And again, you know, we've got a stack coming up uh, in a bit a bit later, but it, it just makes me surprised how little organizations focus on retention as opposed to acquisition. We seem to we seem to focus so much on acquiring customers without trying to put as much effort into retaining existing ones. So Yeah. All the new uh, incentives for signups for new customers. Meanwhile, your loyal customer yeah. for 10 years gets the same high yeah. price you've always got. Yeah. yeah, no, absolutely. So again, take another step back. That's the, the glass half full, the glass half empty. Got to be getting dizzy at this point, Colin. <laughs> I'm getting very confused, mate. I don't know anything else. <laughs> But the glass half empty is that the American Customer Satisfaction Index is at the lowest point since 2006. Yeah, 2006. Think about the money, the amount of people uh, that has been spent on the program, on all those programs, and it's at the lowest point since 2006. And if you were a CEO of an organization looking to cut costs because of potential recessions and everything else, where would you go? Yeah. This is the next stat, which I thought was really interesting, which builds on what we were just saying. It costs five times as much to attract a new customer than to keep an existing one. And that's Bain. Yeah. So five times as much to attract a new customer than it does do to keep an existing one. Yeah. There's Maybe we should do a separate podcast episode on this at some point but that there does seem to be such a cognitive bias in favor of 
filling the funnel as opposed to fixing the leaks in the funnel. Like I think people just naturally think, I, I think it goes beyond any kind of deliberate strategic decision-making. I think we just, we think about sales in terms of getting new people as opposed sure. to keeping the ones that we have. Sure. So why do we not think of, and I know a number of organizations start to do this, but it's not given as much prominence. So rather than me talking riddles, let me explain what I mean. Reporting of customer sat numbers. So as you were talking, I was thinking to myself, yeah, if you think of the mobile phone market, it was obviously all about acquisition at the beginning because nobody had a mobile phone. If you think about Facebook, if you think about Netflix, they're reporting numbers which are based on acquisition and the market then varies based upon acquisition numbers, okay? But you don't get many, whilst people do report on customer sat numbers, they're not, they are not share price affecting unless they happen to be large, i.e., and I'm now thinking of, you know, the the horror stories that we've had in the past with United Airlines, for instance. I always remember the United Brakes guitars, those types of things where it's just ridiculous. But it's not seen as as important as the membership numbers or the share price growth, which therefore tells you that it's just not as an important subject, doesn't it? Yeah, no, it's, I mean, it's interesting. Yeah, because, I mean, growth can come from your current customer base. If they're more satisfied. Well, this would more. tell you that it increases profitability yeah. by focusing on them. So why would you not have a target on the retention of customers? Now, again, I'm sure that people do, but is that as important as acquisition? Yeah. So, in fact, let me give you the threat, which is the next stat, which I found interesting, that sort of counter counterbalance this, if you like. 44% of companies have a greater focus on customer acquisition, and only 18% have that focus on retention. This is a company called uh, Invesp. Again, we'll stick all the links in the show notes. And again, it just tells you what you already know, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah, I wish I had a, a better answer for why firms and investors are so focused on that. I, I don't know. Can it's I ask you, what's the point if you're coming on this bloody show and not having the answers <laughs> to these big questions? I'm, I'm the cheerful American. <laughs> you, That's what I do on this show. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're the one that makes it brighter, are you? That's right. Yeah. I'm, I'm a freaking ball of sunshine. <laughs> God help us. Uh, <laughs> no, it's a, it's a really interesting question and one I haven't hadn't really thought much about before, but I think it's really important. Yeah. Yeah. So, anyway, let, let's let's carry on. Sixty-one percent of consumers will pay at least five percent more if they know they're going to get a great customer experience. This is a company called uh, Amplify. Uh, and all of these, I have to say, sort of feel intuitively correct and directionally yeah. correct, yeah. don't they? You know, still, it's um, nice to have some numbers to put on it for yes. having those difficult conversations with colleagues. It is, it is. So, sixty-one percent 
of customers will say that they pay at least five percent more. So that to, to have a good customer experience. And again, you know, personally speaking, I know I'm probably biased, but you know, I would I would definitely do that. So why again do organisations have that sort of counterbalance of not doing things? And so let me give you the 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 glass half empty version of that. So and in 2022. Only 3% of US companies were customer obsessed, and that had decreased by 7% from 2021. So this is Forrester again, going back to their maturity index. Only 3% of US companies were deemed to be customer obsessed, and that had declined by 7% in 2021. So interestingly, again, supporting the American Customer Satisfaction Index directionally, that things had not gone as well. Uh, okay, next one. We've got uh, four of these left. This is a company called Invesc again. The probability of selling to an existing customer is 60 to 70%, whilst the probability of selling to a new prospect is between 5 and 20%. Yeah, and I'm sure this varies a lot by industry, but that 20% sounds optimistic to me. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree with you. And it, and, it, and it probably does. But again, just proportionately... You, you start to go, yeah, clearly selling to an existing customer, assuming that you're providing them with a, I won't even say the word good, but you know a decent customer experience is going to be far more profitable. You haven't got to go through all of that stuff that you do around acquisition of proving your trust, getting over the, you know, the onboarding, however it may be. It's just so much of an easier Sale, yeah, it's it's it? easier for the company. It's also easier for the customer to buy yes. again from you, yes. you know, rather than to invoke those new search costs and whatever sure. new methods and effort. Yes. And all that. Well, how many times have you, I know you do as well, but you fly Delta and you tend not to look at any other airline. I don't even bother most of the time now. Uh, now, am I actually ending up paying more money? I probably am. But the part of the benefit for me is I don't have to worry about it anymore. I just go, it's a bit like Amazon, to be honest with you. Just buy everything on Amazon and doesn't really matter. You know, it will sort itself out, basically, in terms of cost. So that's opportunity. The good thing is I'm hopefully showing my optimistic side now because I've got more optimistic ones than pessimistic ones. So number 12, opportunity. This is in the Journal of uh, Business Research where they found that customers who have an emotional relationship with a brand have a 306% higher lifetime value and will recommend the company at a rate of 71% rather than the average rate of 45%. JBR is a, a peer-reviewed journal for, for whatever that's worth, but the right, stats have been checked out by other scholars. Good. Uh, but again, you don't have to go into all the numbers. But you go, yeah, if you've built an emotional relationship with a customer, then by definition, surely that would mean, and these stats say there is, that over the lifetime value, and that, that for me, again, is something that organizations don't focus on enough, the lifetime value, because that for me is so important when looking at profitability, is much higher. Next one, um, this is Gallup. Their study showed that businesses that optimize emotional connections outperform their competitors by 26% in gross margin and 85% in sales growth. 
which are, again, you know, just supports the whole thing. And let me give you the last one. The last one. So did you choose to end on a threat or an opportunity, Colin? Um, yeah, okay, we won't do the last one. No, I'm going to do the last one. <laughs> <laughs> because I thought it was a good one. Uh, this is Zendesk. 52% of customers who switch to their competitors if they've had a single negative uh, impression. So 52% of customers will switch to a competitor if they've had a single negative impression. I think the interesting bit for me, mate, in all these stats is that I still genuinely believe there's a massive opportunity out there. Having been doing this for so many years, it just surprises me that not more organizations have actually embraced it and done it properly. I think a number of people, as some of the stats show, have gone into it, but they haven't effectively done it properly. And that probably just shows how difficult change is, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, I think that it's a a non-intuitive way for a lot of people to think about this stuff. You know, I think that not everyone, but a lot of people who go into business and, and who climb the ladder are very good analytic thinkers and they love the numbers and they love to focus on that. And so stuff like emotions or experience or, you know, a lot of parts of marketing can feel kind of squishy and therefore less important. As we like to say, you are transacting with human beings and human beings have emotions and, you know, the soft stuff matters. And uh, and I think that this is some nice, hard evidence for the fact that, you know, emotions matter and psychology matters. Yeah. So I totally agree that the senior people have got there because they're good at some of the hard numbers and stuff like that. And that, let me be very clear, is certainly is how businesses should operate. It is hard. It is hard. It's profit, etc. But I think for me, what that what that also says is that you need to talk in their language. So you need to be able to back it up with statistics and you need to be able to be able to back it up with not just general statistics like this stuff, but particularly about your industry and your and your business. And that I can tell you absolutely works in getting people convinced of which way they're going to go. So uh, we hope that's um, been of use to you today. Uh, we will put a link for all of this lot in the in the show notes. And we hope that helps you create the right environment for your success in the future. Okay. Look forward to talking to you next week. Cheers, everyone. Thanks very much for listening to the show today. We really hope you've enjoyed it. And if you have, it would be really great if you could leave us a review. This has been The Intuitive Customer with Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton. But it doesn't end here. Just go to beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast to find all of our shows, access free tools and resources, and subscribe, won't you? That way you'll never miss a show. That's beyondphilosophy.com slash podcasts. We look forward to talking with you next time on The Intuitive Customer. Intuitive Customer.